Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan knew she would shake up the state's political establishment by deciding not to seek a fifth term. But even she probably did not envision a race this hotly contested. There are eight Democrats and two Republicans running for her job. This weekend, we talk with a lawyer who believes he's the one candidate who can bring true progressive grassroots reform to the AG's office. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is Aaron Goldstein. He's not the best known of the Democratic primary candidates, but he's no political novice either. Mr. Goldstein was born and raised on Chicago's north side and attended the public schools. In 2014, he ran for state representative. And in 2016, amid working as a defense attorney, he uh, decided to take on the Democratic Party establishment and challenged legendary Alderman Richard Mell for the 33rd Ward committeeman seat. And he won. Well, it's with that background, among other things, that he has entered the crowded race for attorney general with a vow to end what he calls the unfettered political power of big money, big corporations, and the political establishment of both parties. Well, in the next half hour, we're going to talk about his plans to do that, the campaign, and the issues. Aaron Goldstein, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, granted, you have beaten the political establishment at the ward level, but now you're in a campaign that includes... State Senator Kwame Raoul, who has the backing of the Cook County Democrats and many others, former Governor Pat Quinn, who has great name recognition, uh, the head of the Chicago Park District, Jesse Ruiz, and former Police Accountability Chief Sharon Fairley, among other former prosecutors. So can a uh, longtime public defender really make his voice heard above the crowd? Absolutely. We've had several forums, and I believe my voice has been the loudest. Uh, because I represent something different, and that's a bold progressive agenda, uh, which which has some very important planks, which is standing up to the big powers, the big banks, and the big corporations, and Donald Trump, having real criminal justice reform, uh, stopping cash bail, ending mass incarceration, ending the the drug war, and and having real police accountability where the community is involved, and also taking on corruption. So so my agenda is different and unique from everyone else's. I'm not taking corporate contributions, unlike many of my opponents. Uh, so so I reflect uh, something new, something bold, and something progressive that no one else does. One of the things that, I mean, there have been an incredible amount of forums. I don't know how you guys have uh, been managed to do as many as you have, but forums have limited audiences. Commercials and flyers and the, all those things are have a wider spread, but how much of those kinds of things have you been able to do? Yeah, so we were the first one to have a commercial in this race. Uh, we put up a statewide commercial for three weeks, uh, starting at the end of January, going through mid-February. We're back on the TV throughout the state as well. 
Uh, so we've had a lot of coverage TV-wise. I've driven throughout the entire state. I've been to places that no one else has been, Central Illinois, Southern Illinois, Western Illinois, Northern Illinois, all over the state. So so it's really that grassroots effort, but we are on TV as well. Mm. Now, uh, you are largely self-financing, at least that was uh, at one of the forums <laughs> I have attended uh, that was brought up. Um, but first off, how much is that? Uh, carrying your campaign, your own money, and how are you doing in fundraising? Are you able to stay on the air uh, throughout this rest of the uh, campaign? Oh, absolutely. We have radio commercials. We have TV commercials that will go all the way through Election Day. Uh, so so we have enough to be competitive. Look, the, the reality is, while I have enough money to be competitive, I'm, I'm not like Senator Raul, who's gotten $100,000 from Big Tobacco or $20,000 from red light camera companies or coal companies or utility companies. Um, so, so he's clearly going to win the financial race. But the question is, is do you want someone who's attorney general, who's now beholden to those powers that he's going to have to regulate? Um, and I think, you know, the, the clear answer is no, people don't want that. Um, so, so we've uh, presented a clear message that I think resonates with the people of the state of Illinois and it's a matter of delivering that message, and and we're you know about a week away from from uh, seeing the answer. Well, um, you know, people who talk about big money in campaigns, and and you say big money infects our political process. I think there are a lot of people who would agree with you, but others might suggest that that's what a guy who doesn't have big money would say. Uh, how do you feel the money in this campaign has worked against the public interest? Oh, it, this is one of, I would argue that this is the most crucial race that, that voters are going to vote for. And what the attorney general does is the attorney for the people against these big interests. So one very big issue is that there's a tobacco settlement that is current, that is actually pending right now. The attorney general oversees that settlement. Well, Senator Raul has taken $100,000 from the opposite side. The, the rules of ethics for an attorney specific specifically prohibit uh, an attorney from taking money from the opponent for which they're litigating against. I think this c- creates a clear conflict of interest where a certain members of this race, not me, uh, will have to recuse themselves. You, you talk about the utilities. Uh, the utilities are one area of business that the attorney general regulates. And now they're going to have to recuse themselves once they investigate or they, they have to investigate. Corruption, which is a huge issue. Senator Raul's got nearly half a million dollars from fellow senators. How in the world is he going to investigate uh, any any potential corruption when he's getting money from all these uh, you know politicians? So so it's crucial, particularly for the attorney general's race, because that's your job as attorney, uh, as attorney for the people, is to actually investigate these entities. And if you're getting money from the other side, that basically means you're not going to do any investigation. You're not going to represent the people. Well, Senator Raul says. That this is a citizen. I mean, we have a citizen government, uh, and we want people who have experience, and that's why there are rules about recusing yourself from things. And as he uh, he has said, he says you can hold to your principles and and make a decision that goes against the you know your fundraisers. Uh, why shouldn't people take a candidate at his or her word that they are going to be open and they're going to have integrity? Well, actions speak louder than words. Um, 
if I'm going to give money to a, can- a candidate, it's typically because I believe in that candidate, because that candidate represents my interests. Now let's flip the question around. Why is the tobacco companies giving him $100,000? Are they just, hey, what the heck? This seems like a nice thing. You, you know, Senator's a nice person. Uh, so, so we like him and we give him a hundred grand. Why do the coal companies give him significant amount of money? Why do the red light camera companies give him significant amount of money? It, at the very least, let, let's take him at his word and let's say he's going to be 100% honest uh, and, and call it down the middle. Well, what's the perception? No one's going to believe that he's going to be fighting for us uh, because he's getting money all on the other side. He's not getting small contributions. He's not getting money from, from ordinary people. He's getting money from big, powerful interests that he's going to have to litigate against. And quite frankly, he won't be able to represent us on many of these suits. Uh, and Kwame Raul isn't the only candidate in this race who has had to talk about where their money came from. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of a race where you do have people justifying what they're doing and how they're raising their money? Well, I mean, the, the positive is that there's at least some sunshine on this. So, so the voters can find out that the problem is when you see a commercial of a particular candidate, it says paid for by the particular campaign committee. The problem is it doesn't say it's paid for uh, by the FOP or paid for by the coal companies. It doesn't say directly where that money's come coming from. So it does require some legwork and some investigation to find out where each of these candidates are getting that money. It is so crucial, and I, I don't mean to, to beat a dead horse here, but the attorney general is a different position than the governor. If the governor has taken money from particular companies, you can certainly critique that, and that's an important issue. But the governor doesn't have uh, litigation uh, requirements. The, the attorney general is the lawyer for the people, has to go into court and advocate on behalf of people against these companies. It, it's an automatic conflict of interest. There, there's just no way that if there's a coal company uh, that's polluting the air, that someone who's taken money from that coal company can honestly regulate that company. It just can't happen. Well, let's turn to some of the uh, some of the issues that would come before the attorney general's office. Uh, all of the candidates say that they would uh, ramp up efforts against public corruption. Lisa Madigan said that she would do that uh, when she was first elected. What will make your plan more than lip service. Yeah, well, so, so Lisa Madigan said in 2003 that uh, corruption would be a top priority for her, and it's now 2018, and, and I don't think she's done much of anything when it comes to corruption. Number one, and it comes back to the first questions we were talking about, which is campaign contributions. Uh, the, the biggest issue of corruption is money in politics. And if you're getting money from the individuals that you're going to uh, look into potentially, you, you just cannot be conflict-free. So number one, I'm not getting money from any individuals that I would potentially look into. Number two, you can look at my history. As you mentioned, I ran against Dick Mell. I ran against the machine when everyone said that that was an impossible thing to do. And and because of the help of many people in the community, we actually won. So I'm willing to take on those big fights. As a committeeman, I spoke out and wrote an article in the Sun-Times specifically about the practice of the Cook County Democratic Party when it comes to endorsing judicial candidates. What they do is they tell a judicial candidate, they say, if we have your endorsement, we expect $40,000 in campaign contributions to come our way. I spoke out about that. That means speaking out against Joe Berrios, Mike Madigan, Ed Burke, and all the powers in Chicagoland. Um, And I was willing to do that. And so you could look at my past. 
And it's always been one who's been independent and willing to stand up to those big powers. Now, when it comes to looking into reports of uh, corruption in public, uh, public office or in government, um, in some ways, aren't the federal uh, authorities better equipped to do that kind of thing? At times, the federal authorities are better equipped. Um, you know, that is their bread and butter. They know how to prosecute these cases. But the problem is there's a lot of lower level uh, situations that, that go uh, uninvestigated. The perfect example is the sexual harassment uh, things that were going on. These were several, several complaints against various uh, senators and people in the House, and nothing was done about it. It was put in some drawer somewhere, and no one, no one investigated it. The, the attorney general is, is completely in that purview to investigate those claims. And obviously the feds haven't jumped in, and I'm not accusing them of doing anything wrong, but they can only do so much. Uh, so, so the AG has an absolute role to play, whether it's independently prosecuting these cases and investigating these cases or working, you know, hand in hand with the federal government or letting the federal government do what they think is best when it comes to corruption. But the point is, there is a void. We are not there's there's a lot of cases that we're not prosecuting that the AG can absolutely do. Well, and on this issue of sexual harassment for two or three years, there was no uh, legislative inspector general. There is one now. We can probably talk and have talked on this program about the uh, the limits on that person. But is is that a situation that justifies the kind of calls that we've heard for Speaker Mike Madigan to give up either his party position or his uh, speakership or both? Uh, some of the people who are accused of sexual harassment have been on his political staff. Yeah, I, I think it's cause enough for him to, to step down definitely from the party position. I think he should step down as speaker. And quite frankly, I don't think it's this r- recent news and investigation uh, that is the only reason that he should step down. I think he's been a cancer to this state. I think he's been a cancer to the Democratic Party. Right now, he is uh, sending mailers. He's spending thousands of dollars uh, on behalf of state central committeemen and women uh, to because people are running against his hand-selected candidates. Specifically, these candidates who, who want to run for state central committeemen and committeewomen, they've been uh, approached by Mike Madigan emissaries that basically said, uh, if you pledge your support to Mike Madigan, we won't do anything against you. And they say, of course, I'm not going to pledge my support to Mike Madigan. They are now getting negative mailers paid for by Madigan. The man doesn't care about ideology. All he cares about is power and maintaining his power. That is not good for democracy. That's never been good for democracy. That's a big reason we have the problems we have right now. Is there any role for an attorney general in a situation like that? Well, possibly. I mean, look, the, the question is, is our laws being broken? A lot of times laws aren't being broken, but that doesn't prevent the attorney general from investigating these things, speaking out on these things and at least writing reports and then suggesting uh, laws that that should change these things. For example, a conflict of interest law. Uh, you know, the fact that the speaker and others who are lawyers and they go out and they uh, represent uh, property uh, owners who, who want their property tax reduced. Uh, and then they go to their buddy, Joe Berrios, 
uh, to get them reduced. And then the rich people pay a lot less. And then the, the poor middle class pay a lot more in property taxes. There's something wrong with that, even if it's not illegal. So it's either advocating for a change or at the very least looking into it to see if there's any illegality. And the problem is, is that Lisa Madigan, being the daughter of Mike Madigan, uh, for whatever reason, has not looked into that, or at least the perception is clearly now the reality, which is she was scared of uh, going after her father. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, sexual harassment, but uh, first, you are listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Aaron Goldstein. He's a Democratic candidate for Illinois Attorney General. Um, Is there something specific that the AG's office could do to better handle sexual harassment cases? Well, look, I think it has to uh, reflect to the community and to the entire state that we are open for business to investigate these claims. We don't know exactly what happened. So, So when someone filed a complaint to this inspector general that didn't exist and then the senators did nothing with it, did they also go to the attorney general's office? We don't know the answer to that because that really is uh, an office that you should be going to. So what I will make clear, and as attorney general, is that anyone who has any claims of sexual harassment, you can come to our office. We will investigate that. So that's first and foremost that, that the attorney general needs to be made clear that we will actually do something about it. And what I fear is that the attorney general's office made clear that they weren't going to do anything about it. So I, either people were scared, particularly in the Mike Madigan case, well, they're not going to go to his daughter investigate him? Uh, Did they think because of the connections to Madigan that they wouldn't go to Madigan's daughter to to investigate uh, other claims uninvolved with Mike Madigan? I don't know. But but once you make clear that that this, um, you know, office is actually going to investigate these claims, I think that will incentivize and motivate people to actually come to our office and do something about it. Let's move on to another big issue in Illinois, and that is uh, gun violence. What can the attorney general's office do constructively to help quell gun violence more than a, just being the bully pulpit? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly the bully pulpit and there's certainly advising to the legislature certain laws that need to be passed. And I agree with a lot of the laws uh, that they're proposing and they're now going to, to Governor Rauner, uh, the gun licensing uh, bill, which I agree with. I think it's a little narrow. I, I wouldn't exempt uh, businesses that have uh, only more than 20% of their sales from guns. I would actually say everyone who sells a gun should be licensed. Um, I, I agree that there should be an assault weapons ban, on and on and on. So, th- so there's a lot of laws that need to be changed and go forward. But the attorney general is an attorney and can go into court and do something about it. We do not look at the most powerful entities that are influxing our communities with guns, and those are the gun manufacturers. They get a free pass, and it makes no sense to me that we are not going after them. I understand there is federal immunity, but there are exceptions to that immunity. Right now in Connecticut, in Newtown, Connecticut, where that uh, school massacre took place, there is a case before the Connecticut Supreme Court uh, against the gun manufacturer that provided this uh, murderer with this, uh, with this AR. Um, we have to pay very close attention to that to see if there's success there, because it might be success that comes in Illinois. There have been success stories when it came to suing the gun manufacturers. They are inundating our communities with guns. The supply way outnumbers the demand. They know what they're doing. I think just like tobacco litigation and many other uh, forward-thinking litigation that's happened in the past, we can go after the gun manufacturers. 
Let's talk about general criminal justice reform. There seems to be a consensus that there are too many people jailed on low-level drug charges. Uh, Too many of those people are black and brown. Uh, But how can the attorney general's office help move past the rhetoric about all of that to something that can be actually done? Yeah, certainly. I mean, the, like you said, there's the bully pulpit and advising the legislature. We we need to legalize marijuana. I mean, that's just the reality. We should have done it a long time ago. We're going to look back on this drug war, uh, whether it's a year from now or 10 years from now, is one of the worst domestic policies we've ever done in this country in the last 50 or 60 years. So we need to stop the drug war. And, and I'd submit to, to all the listeners, many of my opponents are prosecutors. They, these are the same individuals who've been locking brown and black people up uh, for, for many, many years. Do, do you trust a prosecutor to come in and tell you that we're now going to have criminal justice reform? Or do you trust this, the individual like me who's been on the front lines representing these individuals in court every single day? So what can the attorney general do? We also have cash bail, which is a huge problem. Right now, there's a lawsuit in Cook County that specifically is attacking the cash bail program. In other words, no one should be sitting in jail because they can't post $100. You either think they're worthy of being released on bail or they're not, but they shouldn't be staying in jail just because they're poor. There is a lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of that program. The attorney general right now is defending that lawsuit. I would stop defending that lawsuit. I would let the lawsuit go forward and make sure we have real change legally within Illinois. We don't even need a law change. We can go through all the courts throughout the state and make sure they stop this unconstitutional practice. How satisfied are you with the action that's been taken at the Cook County level where there are efforts to change the standards for for giving bail? There are new guidelines that the judges have been ordered to use. Is that the right direction? Yes, and I'm a part of that. So, So within the public defender's office, I was one of the stakeholders that were working on the plan to actually stop that. So I'm very satisfied. We went from... About a year ago, approximately 11,000 inmates in the Cook County Jail. We're now under 6,000. Kim Fox has done an excellent job in that regard. So we are we are moving in the right direction. There's still a lot more we have to do, uh, but I appreciate that. And and I think, you know, th- there are people that are still sort of blocking the way, but but we're moving in the right direction. We have to do that for all of Illinois. Uh, let's while we're in the justice uh, realm, talk a little bit about uh, police accountability. Um, that, talk about an active case. There is a consent decree being worked out between the city of Chicago and the, uh, and the AG's office and a federal court. Uh, how, what's your assessment of how that process has moved so far, if it has, and where you would want to see it go? Yeah, so, so I agree with, with what Lisa Madigan has done, filing suit, because what happened was we did have a federal monitor under President Obama of the police department. Then once Donald Trump came into office, Jeff Sessions then withdrew a federal monitor, and that's what prompted Lisa Madigan to file suit so there can be a consent decree. I completely agree with that action, but here's what I think is being missed. If we get a consent decree, we must have community enforcement power. That means that there's pending lawsuits right now against the Chicago Police Department. Those lawsuits uh, should be joined, and they should be part of that consent decree. They should be able to go into court when we get a consent decree, I anticipate we'll get it towards the end of the year. Once we get it, uh, the community should have enforcement power. That means they should go into court, have the ability to go into court, and actually enforce the the specific provisions of that consent decree because it's the community that's most affected by these police accountability problems. Are there some specific reforms that you 
feel must be a part of this uh, this consent decree? Certainly. I mean, it, there's a ton of training that needs to be done. Uh, police officers are not trained. I give you an example. I, I represented a young woman. Uh, she was Muslim and she was arrested, tackled uh, and asked if she was a terrorist and then charged with a crime. She had nothing on her. She was clearly not a terrorist. She was there buying food. Uh, during the trial, I asked this officer if he was given any training and cultural sensitivity with regards to Islam. He said, yes. I said, what kind of training was that? He said, terrorism training. That's despicable. We need completely different training. We also need a condition as far as police-involved officer shootings. Uh, Those need to not be handled by the state's attorney, the AG, or a special prosecutor should be handling those cases in which they can come in and actually uh, be a neutral arbiter and investigate those cases. Um, Some Suburban police officials, and I hear from them uh, occasionally, uh, worry that the pendulum is swinging too far um, on police accountability, that their officers aren't being listened to, and even on criminal justice reform, that we are maybe starting to allow dangerous people to uh, to stay on the streets. How do you maintain a balance uh, when you are changing the way we've done things up to this point? Well, I, I think the changes still need to be more, and I think we can advance even more. But I understand, look, no one wants uh, unsafe communities. But here's the thing. Pre uh, all this uh, reforms that we've had, we had a significant amount of violence. And that was, you know, when, when the police officers were doing what they claimed they needed to do, which was rough up people and, and be aggressive and, and violate a lot of people's rights. Uh, so we are now going into reforms. Here's the thing. You stop violence and you stop crime by having a good society with a good economy, with good opportunity and good education, good schools. Uh, That's how you stop it. You don't stop crime by being oppressive to the people in the community. And here's a big thing, though, and and the police officers are right. We do need to support them for enforcing the law. If we can stop this drug war, now we can free up the police to focus on the crime that's most important. We shouldn't worry about someone who's doing drugs, who's got an addiction problem. They should be rehabbed and reformed, not thrown in jail. And officers should not be wasting their time doing a drug bust in the middle of the night. They should be going after violent individuals who are harming our community. Um, We only have a couple of minutes left, but I want to ask one question about uh, one of your other high-profile roles, and where most of us actually met you. Uh, You were ex-Governor Rob Lagojevich's defense attorney. Uh, I'm not going to ask you why you took the case. I know everybody (laughs) asks that, but we know people deserve the best defense they can get. Um, But was there anything you learned from handling a high-profile and difficult case like that that could help you or be instructive if you were to get this job? Yeah, I mean, there was a significant amount that I learned, you know, particularly in the specifics of a case and trying a case with, you know, over 300 hours of audio tape and millions of pages of electronic discovery. Um, but here's what I really learned. Number one is nothing's changed. Uh, we're, we're now in 2018, 10 years after uh, Rob Bogoyevich was arrested. Uh, nothing's changed. Many of the same players that were involved in uh, this trial are still around and still have power. Here's the most fundamental thing I learned is the problem of money in politics. And this goes back to sort of the the beginning of our conversation. Uh, When there is money in politics, that breeds corruption. Whether it's perceived, whether it's reality, it doesn't matter. Rob Bogoyevich didn't take a dime, but he got in trouble because of money in politics. And here we are today, the same issue, because the question is, why did Rob Bogoyevich want this money? They claim he wanted a quid pro quo. 
well, why are the people giving particularly my opponents money? Are they giving it because they just believe in charity or do they, are they giving it because they believe they're going to get something out of it? And that's really the fundamental issue of that case in this entire race. But 30 seconds. Is there any way to get money out of politics? Well, I mean, we need public financing of, of politics and uh, otherwise we're going to rely on the good faith of the candidates uh, to have integrity and not take that money uh, and from industries that you're going to be regulating. Well, thank you very much. That is Aaron Goldstein. He is a candidate for Illinois Attorney General. Thanks for spending the half hour with us. Glad you came in. It's my pleasure. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can just follow the audio links and you will find uh, our program there. You can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. Uh, I will be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue. I think we've done all the attorney general candidates, uh, but uh, we will do one congressional race, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 